So this morning we are talking about the parable of the unjust judge and the persistent widow. But we're going to take a little bit of a long and somewhat confusing path to get there. First, we need to talk about knocking on a door at midnight, praying for rain, life and death in the desert, and the end of the world. So, we'll begin our path with the end of the world. In the early to mid-1800s, there was a Baptist preacher that gained a bit of prominence. He was named, his name was William Miller, and he lived in New England. He, Miller, lived somewhat of an easy life. He grew up in a pretty well-to-do family. He came from a Baptist family, um, and he grew up Baptist, but in his 20s, he became a deist. A deist is somebody that believes in God, believes in some kind of supreme power, but doesn't necessarily believe that this God actually intervenes or intercedes in the world. And so Miller went through life after that as a deist. He held some minor public offices. And when the War of 1812 came, William Miller signed up to serve in the military. He and his company of men served in the Battle of Plattsburgh. And while he was in this battle, a shell struck just two feet from him. And when this shell struck, three of the men in his company were injured and one of them died. But somehow... Miller escaped unscathed. And this deist came to the conclusion that this was a miracle. So he came home. He had this new fervor and this new faith, and he re-engaged his Baptist root. But his deist friends challenged him. They asked him all kinds of questions, but among them was this. How can you call this event a miracle? Three men were injured and one man died. How can you call this a miracle when it's the same shell that kills one man and leaves another fighting for the same side in the same war? And so with this, Miller began an extensive line-by-line study of the Bible. He's trying to satisfy this challenge from his deist friends, not only for his friends, but he's trying to satisfy this challenge for himself. And it was while he was doing this line-by-line study of the Bible that he found what became his purpose in life, what he said was his divine calling. Without getting into a whole lot of the detail of the scriptural journey that Miller took, we'll say that Miller found evidence that Christ's second coming was imminent. According to his calculations, with some near misses, maybe not near, uh, with some missed dates and some help from his friends, Miller calculated that Jesus would return to earth on October 22nd of 1844. And for the next two decades, this became his mission, to spread his news. He told people, Christ is coming back. Repent, prepare. When the Christ comes back, if you are the ones of faith in this life of toil and suffering and doubt and confusion, will come to an end. We will celebrate with Christ for a thousand years. And so as those two decades went by, Miller spreading his message, he gained a pretty significant following. And on October 22nd, 18th, 
1844, these Millerites, as they became known, gathered together. They were celebrating. They knew that by the end of the day, they would be living with Christ. Bursting with anticipation. Ready for the kingdom to come in full, joyous and ecstatic. But as that day slowly crept forward, that anticipation slowly started to become worry. That joy slowly became doubt. That ecstasy slowly became disillusionment. And when October 23rd came, they were all still there. This event became known as the Great Disappointment. So that's the end of the world. Now we're going to move forward to life and death in a desert culture. Here's a piece of divine revelation for you. Life in the desert is hard. Water is tough. Food is tough. Shelter is tough. Even other people can be tough. And so the Israelite culture, this culture that Jesus lived and walked and taught in, is a culture that had been informed their entire existence by desert living. And in this kind of culture, in these desert cultures, the care for those in need becomes vital to the survival of your entire tribe. Hospitality and generosity are of the utmost importance in the desert culture. You help the person that needs help. It could be the poor, it could be the immigrants, it could be the enemy. Whoever it is, you offer them help because what you know is that one day you're going to be the one that's stuck in the desert without water, without food, without shelter, and it will be you that's asking for help. And what's more is that throughout the biblical narrative, if there's a community that offers no generosity or hospitality to those that they encounter, that community is indicted as a whole. It's a lack of hospitality in the desert that's the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, says Ezekiel. And when Jesus proclaims his woe on Chorazin and Bethsaida is because of their lack of generosity. Moving forward, we'll talk about praying for rain. There are two stories from the Jewish lore that I want to share with you. The first is this. Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer observed a fast, but no rain came. And then Rabbi Akiva observed a fast, and the rain fell. When the people asked why Akiva's prayer worked and Eliezer's did not, Akiva told them this story. A king had two daughters. One of these daughters was gracious. And the other daughter was tenacious. When the tenacious daughter wanted something, she would go before the king. And before she even got to the room, the king would say, give her whatever she wants so she will go away. But when the gracious daughter came and wanted something from the king, the king would prolong the conversation, holding back that which the daughter wanted so that he could have more time in conversation with her, enjoying her company. And this is the second story. This one might be a little bit more familiar. The people of Jerusalem once asked a man named Honi to pray for rain. Honi was known as a man that was like a son in the house of God. And so they knew that if one man, if any man could pray for rain, 
and have that prayer answered, it would be this man. So they asked him, pray for rain for us, Honey. Honey, who's a little uh, full of himself, okay, go home, prepare your homes, prepare your fields, because you don't want them to be damaged in the storm that's coming. And so Honey prayed, God, would you please send the rain? And the rain did not come. So Honey, ever persistent, walked out into one of the fields, drew a circle in the dust, stepped into the circle, and said to God again, God, your people have come to me because I am like a son to you. Pray, I pray, send the rain. I will not leave this circle until the rains come. And it started to rain. It was a soft little sprinkle. But Honey was not satisfied. So Honey once again rose his hands to the heavens and he said, God, this is not the rain that I pray for. This is soft. I pray for the rain that fills our cisterns, for the rain that will nourish our roots deeply. And the rain became violent. But Honey still was not satisfied. He said, God, I did not pray for this rain either. I want the rain of health and blessing. This rain is flooding our homes and tearing up our fields and the rain softened and became a slow and steady downpour that filled the cisterns and watered the fields. And as Honey was just stepping out of that circle, by the way, he became known forevermore as Honey the Circle Maker. As he is stepping out of this circle, the local rabbi, Rabbi Shimeon, comes running up to Honey and he says, How dare you approach God with such brazenness? If I didn't know that you were like a son in God's house, I would excommunicate you for such nerve. Brazenness, tenacity, nerve, persistence. In these two stories, these are all the same Hebrew word. Everybody say chutzpah. Chutzpah. Good. This is a Hebrew word that means bold persistence. Determined perseverance, brazen tenacity, or even raw nerve. And it's in these stories, it's because of the daughter's chutzpah that the king grants her wishes. And it's because of the chutzpah of Rabbi Akiva that the rain fell after the fast. And it's because of the chutzpah of Honi that the rain comes. Now we'll move forward once again. Knocking on a door at midnight. Trey read a scripture, we all read a scripture at the beginning of the service that came from Luke chapter 11. And in this story, the way that Jesus tells it, he says that you go and knock on your neighbor's door in the middle of the night. You're looking for some bread to share with your own uninvited guest. This neighbor, however, is comfortable He's in bed with his family, and he has no desire to fulfill you or your visitor's needs at the cost of his own comfort. Now remember something. This is the desert culture. In this culture, when someone comes to your door and needs a place to stay for the night or a bite to eat, how do we respond? We help them. And so in this story, you are trying to fulfill this tradition, this scriptural instruction. But you come to your neighbor, and your neighbor has no regard for you, 
Your neighbor has no regard for your visitor. He has no regard for this tradition or this duty or this scriptural instruction. And then the implication in the story is that this neighbor doesn't even have regard for his own community. And yet, Jesus says that even though this neighbor will not open the door for you for your friendship, he will nonetheless open the door and give you the bread. Did anybody catch why it is that this neighbor will open the door when we read it? Persistence. Any guesses what that word is in Hebrew? Chutzpah. Right. So let's look at the context of this story. At the beginning of this chapter of Luke, chapter 11, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And Jesus responds with the Lucan version of the uh, Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And as Jesus goes on with this prayer, he elaborates it with this story. You knock on your neighbor's door at midnight. And you keep knocking. And you knock and you knock and you knock with chutzpah until this neighbor opens the door and gives you the bread. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Now, I know that statements such as this about prayer are often met with a little bit of doubt. I have said, I have heard people say things like this. I've prayed for this, for something, for years, and nothing's changed. I've tried to do something about it, and yet this problem persists. Why is this prayer not working? And what I find interesting about the way that Jesus explains prayer is that as he explains it, you're not just speaking to God and asking him for help. You're asking, you're seeking, you're knocking. You are the one doing this with chutzpah because you are the one that's trying to feed an unexpected visitor. I saw a quote this week that was attributed to, prayer, to Pope Francis that I think makes a lot of sense here. Pope Francis says, you pray for the hungry, and then you feed them. This is how prayer works. So I think that that is the kind of prayer that Jesus is talking about throughout Luke. Prayer is talking to God, asking for help, asking for ju justice, but it's so much more. Prayer is involving yourself in the answer. Prayer is living a life of faith that seeks to tangibly bring about justice in a world that desperately needs it. And if you pray in such a way, with this chutzpah, if even this unloving neighbor will open the door to you, then how much more will the God of love, the creator of the universe, hear this prayer. And so now, we are finally ready for the parable of the unjust judge and the persistent widow. Well, kind of. Our parable is found in Luke 18, but we do need to take a quick dive into Luke 17 to get a little bit of context for the story. In Luke 17, some Pharisees come to Jesus, and they ask Jesus the question, not just a question, but the question that their lives were revolving around. 
They say, when will the kingdom of God come? For these people living in this place, in this time, this is not just a question of faith, but this is a question for which your whole life has meaning in this question. When will the kingdom of God come? When will we no longer be oppressed? When will we no longer have to sit under the unjust Romans? How long will we have to toil in this life? When will we have food enough to eat? When will we have clothes enough to wear? When will we have enough homes for all of the children of Israel? We're faithful and we pray and we sacrifice and we're generous. And yet it seems as if nothing changes. The world is as it always was. Remember also that when Alexander Shia was here, he taught us that the gospel of Luke was written to a young Christian community. A community that had recently been schismed from its Jewish roots and has just had to learn how to stand on its own apart from its mother. And this community had the same questions. When will the kingdom come? When will the Messiah return? When will the world change? And Luke's response to this Christian community and Jesus' response to these Pharisees comes in two parts. The first part is this. Jesus says the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. You can't look up all of a sudden and say, there it is. This can't happen because the kingdom of God is within you. I know that you long to see the world change. There will even be a day that you beg for the return of the Messiah. And people will claim that they see me, but I, I warn you not to follow them. You'll know the day when you reach it. What must happen first is that I have to go. I have to suffer just as you suffer. You'll live your life and there'll be times of joy, but there will also be times of calamity. And some of you will suffer much and some of you will suffer less, but life will go on. And the kingdom will be within you. And the second part of Jesus' response is this parable that we read at the beginning of the sermon. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. Luke says that Jesus tells this prayer so that the disciples would always pray, never give up. And so considering what we've talked about today, the end of the world, life and death in a desert culture, praying for rain, knocking on a door at midnight, in light of this, what might we say about this parable? What can we say that we learn from the judge? The judge is portrayed as a man that has no love of God and no respect of people. The Shema for the judge 
means nothing. And yet, like the neighbor with the bread, he grants justice to the widow. How much more will the God of love, the God that has created each of us in this room, listen to our prayers? And how might we describe the widow? She's got chutzpah. She sees the need for justice and she pursues it with such a tenacity that the judge is scared that it will never end. What might we say about the community that these two people live in? This is a widow without the means to even bring somebody to represent her in court. And this is a judge with no respect for people and no love of God. This is a community that has lost touch with its biblical instruction and its cultural charge to care for the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. This community has lost faith on their long journey. And what can we say about prayer? When the people that followed William Miller woke up on October 23rd, 1844, they came to a hard realization. The vindication, the justice, the shalom, the peace that they were seeking did not come. And for some, they woke to know that their lives were going to continue down the same path that they had always been on. This realization shattered their faith. They walked away from Miller, from the church, and they moved on. But for others, they woke to know that their lives would continue on the same path that it had always been. And this realization revitalized their faith. They embraced the realization and they moved forward. There are still in the world today over 20 million people whose faith community and tradition draws its genesis from the story of William Miller and the Great Disappointment. And this faith community endures today with a tenacious, audacious, seeking after the kingdom of heaven and seeking after justice in the world. They try as hard as they can to strengthen families and marriage. They offer to educate people, children all around the world. They have all kinds of efforts all around the world where they are seeking the justice and they are agents of the justice which they are seeking. And that's what I think that we can say about this prayer in this parable. Jesus is telling us that while we pray for vindication, for justice, for peace, for love, for healing, for restoration, that we, as we pray, be agents of vindication and justice and peace and love and healing and restoration. The kingdom that we seek is within us. This road of a faithful life, this life of service is long and sometimes dark. We're bound to experience pain and suffering and doubt. But this parable teaches us to respond with chutzpah. That we keep walking this path 
everything that we are looking for, we will find some of it even within ourselves and within the people that we walk the path with. The God that loves you has walked this path before you and continues to walk it with you today. So we keep walking this path. Please pray with me. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who gives us life, who sustains us, and brings us to this very moment. We bless you, Father, for this path that we walk, and we bless you for those that we walk alongside. We bless you for the opportunity to continue to move forward, the opportunity to continually grow, to move closer to you, and to move closer to our neighbors. Father, we pray that as we go from this place, this prayer would not stop. We do long to see this world changed. We long for your shalom, and so as we go, may this prayer not cease. May we be agents of shalom in a world that seems on the brink of chaos. May we love and feed and clothe and befriend our neighbors. And may your kingdom come on earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that fills us all, we pray these things. Amen.